Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Posecast with Rabbi Shmuel Poser and myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Baruch Hashem, good, 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 good. It's been busy, busy, busy traveling and getting around, but things are good. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Been been busy on this side as well. Been doing a lot of moving today. My sister's moving into a new place, so I am what one would call absolutely slumped and exhausted. But it's postcast time, which means <laughs> postcast energy is pick up. up time. Yes, we're awake. We're ready to go. And apparently we're following up with things. So what's going on, Rabbi? What oh, are we well, talking about today? So um, last week we had Josh on with our guest, right? Yes. And that was that was good. He was good. Yes. He was good. I hope he's not listening because his ego is as just the right <laughs> size. But um, yeah, that was. A, I think we should be doing this like more. Maybe switch off one day, one week with that without a guest, one week with a guest. And and if anybody has ideas, or wants to volunteer, and you think you have something worthy to share with our worldwide audience we'd love to have you so just you know let seth and i know about that that'll be great um what else is going on oh i gotta i gotta share this with you i gotta share this with you it's from my about my granddaughter i wouldn't you know honey used to tell me like don't post any pictures of the kids on facebook or on this thing family's family but she has not told there's been no restrictions placed on sharing stories about grandchildren and um so we're gonna set we're gonna set the tone here and I'm and I'm saying this in the context. I believe you spoke a couple weeks ago about setting examples for your children, or maybe something you sent to the alumni. I sent to the alumni a message that um, you know your children are going to do things that they see you do, and not because you're going to tell them to do this or watch me do this, but like those little little incidents. We all we all have memories of our parents having little quirky things they used to do or habits they used to do. Not necessarily quirk. I mean, like good things that they always did. They always would do this. Hani talks about her mom. She always would kiss the mezuzahs in the house before she went to sleep. Even like an advanced age when she had, you know, needed assistance walking. She would walk around and kiss every mezuzah. Those are the type of things that stay embedded in your mind, not because they're done to as teach in a teaching way, but that's that's how you behave. I would always do that that way. And that's you know how you how you you know and some of those things like oh wow I didn't realize I did that like. My kids were talking about like how um, every morning I'm walking down, taking them to school, always with a cup of coffee in my hand. And I realized, yeah, back in those days when I used to drink coffee, that's what I used to do. But to me, it was just a habit. To them, it was like, oh, it, it made an impression upon them. And when we do good things, like, you know, I was telling the alumni, when you put on fill-in, if you're putting on fill-in at home, make sure your kids see you. Of course, you should go to shul, but if you don't go to shul, Make, let them see it. You know, you don't have to say, hey, look, I'm putting on film. Just do it, and they'll see it and learn from it. So here's the story with our granddaughter in Portland. And this, I guess, is a, is a, a um, text message called Today's Teacher Notes. A friend dropped some sparkles they found on the playground. <clears throat> she was very upset, but soon we found them again, and she cheered up. Rivka touched her on and said, Baruch Hashem. Her friend asked what she meant, what that meant. And Rifka explained, I don't know exactly what it means, but we usually say it when something bad happens and then something good happens after. I told him it means blessed be God or thank God. Rifka smiled and said, yeah, Baruch Hashem. So what I love about this is, first of all, can I know my granddaughter is amazing. But what I love about it is that no one said to her, Say Baruch Hashem, or why say Baruch Hashem? And she actually didn't really, you know, 
she, she got it right, but that's that, that's not the way you would explain it to a kid, right? You say, Baruch Hashem, you thank God for everything. But to, in her mind, it stuck to her that when something bad happens and you realize that it's actually good, you say, Baruch Hashem. It's like, you can imagine like, oh my God, oh, I found it. Oh, Baruch Hashem, right? That's like an instinctive thing that you say. But here, she picked it up as when something bad happens, something good follows it, you say, Baruch Hashem. So I thought that was that was a, a pretty um, profound message without it being a direct message, but just a, a, an amazing lesson about um, educating ch children. And I find it similarly in my position in the Chabad house or my son's position, his Chabad house. So some of the Northeastern kids come over now for Shabbos day because there's no minion there, like three or four or five of them, whatever. And um, like last week, the week before, one of the kids was like imitating Mendy. Like, oh, this is how he laughs, but things that he says. And like, and to me, that's very, very funny. It was not, nothing disrespectful, but mannerisms or things that he would say. And that, you know, people pick that up. And if you're doing, if you're saying the right things and you're behaving in a good way, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's, it, it, it has an impression. But I think the point is people are always watching you and will remember things that you do. And so be careful what you're doing for yourself but also knowing that you never know who's watching and how, how that can be, you know, can uh, have an effect. So I, I went to Berkeley today to watch a recital of one of the five-week uh, summer students, his drummer, he asked me to come. So I went there, but he told me the, the, the group right before him has women singers, so you make sure you don't come on time because it might run late. Uh -huh. So I came like 15 minutes late and I basically missed his whole recital. <laughs> Whatever. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there and he comes over and says, oh, and he walks over and he sits down next to me. I said, oh, what happened? He said, oh, you came late. You missed it. Okay, I said, all right, whatever, no problem. I mean, I wasn't really, I wanted him to know that I cared about his music enough to come and hear it. And he later showed me a video of it. It's fine. But he said to me, you know, I was actually in the cafeteria and one of my teachers came over to me and said, I think your rabbi is over in the recital hall. And so to me, that, that had another meaning to it. Like, because he had told the teacher about coming to Chabad house, this teacher then put together, okay, there aren't many rabbis coming to recitals at Berkeley, let me tell you that much. So he put it together, like, and to me, I was like, wow, that's that's fantastic, that's great. That That's really, that's, you know, anyway, along those lines. So that's recently what's going on. There's one more thing on my mind, I think I'm just going to drop it in right here because um, it's on my mind. So I saw this article in Jewish website about Barbie dolls. And I thought, wow, very interesting. Barbie dolls were made by a Jewish woman, I think a Holocaust survivor. Her daughter's name was Barbara, and her son's name is Ken. I guess there's a Kenny doll also. Um, I don't know if in our with our kids, I don't. I never really kept track of what kind of dolls my kids played with. That's Hani's uh, department. Or my sisters. I don't know if they ever had Barbie dolls, but I pretty much know what they are. But then I hear that like there's a movie and there's a whole big Mishagas going on. So all of this is like way, way, way back in the back of my mind. I never, I never really attached any importance to it whatsoever. It doesn't affect my life at all. These trends come, they go, giggles them to hate. I'm walking on the way to the recital and there's a ball game at Fenway. So I had, I had to make, I made a right walked around there. And the guys out there selling whatever they sell, t you know, Red Sox t-shirts, whatever Narish guy they have there. And they see they have a bunch of pink shirts. I'm like, oh, Hashem. Now the whole thing is about wearing pink. Oh, they. I get so crazy. I'm like, we're, 
society is so fickle because somebody made a movie, somehow that became the thing. And I would go buy things that are pink that in a month or six months or a year maximum is going to end up in the garbage because it's so unimportant. And I'm thinking to myself, from a Jewish perspective, this is like, you know, there is a halacha, you shouldn't go in the ways of the goyim. Now, so strictly speaking, I mean, if it's if it's in level of idol worship, it's absolutely forbidden. We always have this conversation during Thanksgiving time. Are you allowed to eat a turkey on Thanksgiving because it's a goyish holiday? Are you allowed to celebrate? Absolutely. Right. Well, I'm not going to at Thanksgiving. Well, th wait, save that. More importantly, because a turkey is a big chicken and not a small ostrich. <laughs> so Paskin's Rabbi Seth, straight from straight, chief rabbi of New Hampshire. Anyway. <laughs> So, so that's you know one thing we talk about, and what how luckily whether it's forbidden or permitted is a separate issue, but the idea of following the trends, like what makes something in, right? So what makes something in, like tefillin is in, is an in thing. Shabbos is an in thing. When it comes Russian, your kippur sukkah, those that's what's in Purim Pesach. Those are to to allow society to like guide you and say this is what now this is what I you, I have to have I have to have a pink this I have to have a whatever mishkasa happens to be is really distracting from Yiddishkeit number one number two it's almost belittling like that determines who you are like, that's how, that's how it goes now sometimes sometimes it's something that's a little convenient and so that you know I'm and again I don't want to start talking about yellow Crocs or anything like that. But like you know, sometimes you know that becomes a thing. I still can't go over to people wearing those those um, what we call bathing slippers or you know those those flip flops they call them. I used to wear them in camp when we used to go to the lake. That's what he wore them. I'm seeing people walking in the street in the snow and they're falling off. It's not normal. There's nothing you know. So in other words, the only reason, the only value is that it's a trend. Why are you allowing yourself to, you know, putting yourself into such a terrible circumstance because it's a trend? There's no, it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It we doesn't work. <laughs> this is off the rails. We're full like Haredi now. This is insane. <laughs> flops, right? Okay. This okay number numerous questions. First off, what's the Yiddish for flip flop? Because I can only <laughs> assume that it roughly translates to shower bathroom slippers. What is this madness? Yes, that's what they are. That's what they always were. You use them okay. when you went to the pool, and they came off your feet. They were ne they were never practical. Never made any sense. Okay, let's move on. It's it's easier it's easier than putting on socks and tying up your laces and, and you know the whole the whole thing with that. Okay, here we go. Here you go. Here you go. Have you ever left your house without your pants on? Da, 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 da. <laughs> this is it. Don't tell me what's practical. What as a human is there an being, issue? Is there an issue of not wearing socks in Judaism? I would think there's the opposite. No, it's actually a good question. Um, clothing in general. There's two categories in clo in clothing. One category is respectful of your body. It's like, you know, and we're not talking about women. Now. We're talking about men. Because okay? women have a whole other set. There's a whole other set of criteria that applies to women. Talking about men. And this, this also applies to women as well. But women have additional things. So for men... Um, the idea is respect of your body. So you can't walk around naked or you can't walk around, you know, without a shirt on, things like that, respecting your body. Then the question is like, let's say wearing short sleeves. So I had a teacher in yeshiva who was an, you know, an old time immigrant type guy, whatever. But he was, he knew what was going on. He was, he was sharp. And he said, he, everyone, he was talking to us 
and we were like 13, 14 years old. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He said, he was upset because guys wearing a long shirt were rolling up the sleeves. Now remember, this is summertime. If true, it was in the Catskills. It wasn't boiling hot. But he says, he said like this. He said, I understand if to begin with, it's a short sleeve. So what can you do? But to have long sleeves and roll them up? And I'm like, I, I don't, what, what's the problem? And it took me many years to finally get it. From his perspective, it's more respectable. Now, and that's one of the things about clothing. What is considered respectable? So you might argue, you could argue that men wearing short pants, like to the knee, it's not unusual. You know, people go out, very respectable people will walk in the street. They wouldn't come into a, you know, a high, a high powered meeting, you know, about some multi-million dollar deal wearing shorts, but you might, you know, walk in the street. So the question is, can a person come into shul wearing shorts? You could argue that it's normal in the street, but shul is more respectable, or you could even cut him some slack and say, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, so, so there, there you have, there you have, so because clothing come pretty much as what's normal in society. So wearing short sleeve shirts is acceptable because, you know, respectable people in respectable situations will come in, in short sleeves. So that's really where the clothing comes in. So when you come to wearing socks, the question is, do people normally wear socks? That's the question. So if you're coming into, if it's normal to wear socks, do you not, then you coming in or you're wearing flip-flops without socks then you're walking in with your naked feet into shul and that's not the way you would go into any respectable um environment you wouldn't go into but a what meeting is, with your what what did the cohen guttle wear shoes i thought he had to take his shoes off to do stuff no and then he wasn't wearing socks because he was wearing sandals barefoot yeah he was barefoot Everybody who so went. If the Cohen Guttel can go barefoot, why can't everyone else go everybody barefoot? Goes, in the base of English, everybody went barefoot. Everybody. In fact, if a Cohen. So if we go barefoot into literally the most respectable of places possible, yeah, then well, we should be able to go barefoot anywhere. Amen. Hashem should help that immediately today we should rebuild the third base of Migdash and we'll all go barefoot in the base of Migdash. Amen. Okay, we got that. Viter. It doesn't answer the question. Yes, it does. Just... It, it answers the question because the question because in the base on Migdash you can do it because that's normal in the base of me. That's exactly so what you're telling point. me is I can show up to the Chabad house barefoot. This is not the base on Migdash. It's the closest you're gonna get, but it's not the base on Migdash. <laughs> I thought 770 was as close as you're gonna get. But as close as you would get. What do you mean? See, now we're having a okay. semantics argument. No. All right, let's let's um let's put up the picture. I want to show this. This is good. I, I would argue as we put up this photo that the that you know 491 com av is uh much closer to the base of Megdash than 770, but that's just my personal opinion. Here we go. Okay, so this photo, these two guys were meeting, and the funny thing was they were actually talking to each other, and I'm getting each one of them is texting pictures of the other one as they're sitting in this faraway place some exotic country, and both of them went to went to our, our Chabad House alumni. On the right, we have Alex Speaker, who um, went to law school at BU, and on the left, we have, left when you're looking at it, yeah, is Orn Antebi, who's in, from Toronto, who went to Berkeley College of Music. This, this goes back a solid 30 years ago. I know that for a fact because Alex actually sent me a, a uh, email 
copied a couple of friends that we were very close with in law school saying, oh, this is 30 years. Da, 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 da. It was very nice, very, very kind of him to recall being here and how that affected him in his life so many years later. And I think both of these guys were at the Chabad at the same time. That's the only way they would know each other. And I don't think, I know their lives took very varying um, directions. Um, Alex actually lives in Eretz Yisrael now. So the fact that they met somewhere in some third country and what brought them together, what, what they had in common is that they both came from the Chabad house was pretty, um, pretty amazing, pretty amazing and impressive. And I think it's a great thing. And my, what did I say to them? So I was just watching a video of the Rebbe who was giving a dollar, I forget to who it was, but some quite wealthy person. And there was explaining to him why he's giving the dollar to him. He said to him, when two Jews meet, they should immediately do something that can benefit a third Jew. So I'm going to give you this dollar, so you should give this to charity to another Jew. And that's the Rebbe said, and you, you can do something good, even using money to do good. So that was my, my, my challenge then was, the two of you together, Get your tefillin, and you'll find the third Jew in whatever place this is, and do a mitzvah with them. And that's my message to people who are traveling wherever you are. You never know who you're going to run into, and it's always an opportunity, um, which is what we're doing on Sundays on Newbury Street. You know about Open Newbury? Did we talk about this? Yeah, we talked about we talked about Open Newbury. That was ninety percent of the photos that we had. That was that last ago, time. That was a couple weeks ago, right? Exactly. Exactly. And that, so this Sunday again was out there. And it's tough because it's like the sun is out and it's, you know, five, six hours. It's, it's, uh, it's taxing. I do drink, I take enough water along, don't worry. But again, meeting, again, meeting a person, I haven't seen this kid that used to come in, his whole life story, he comes over. What the heck? And this is a lesson in the rabbi being flustered by technology. Everything's good on my end. Oh, I get, I hit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> first, first we had the issue finding the car, and then the suggestion of the app. Now we've got whatever the heck's going on on your laptop here. This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you start a podcast with a <laughs> very, very wise rabbi. <laughs> And by wise, I mean the 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 more years you have under your belt, the more tractate to the Gemara you learn, the wiser you are. And see, to the Rebbe. So, um, <laughs> oh, so I'm saying like the, the, I met a couple of people that this one guy used to come here. Now he's married, he has kids. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was, it was such a powerful interaction. Just that few minutes of talking to me as a two year old daughter, you know, and um, some other guy that I, I I don't think I met him years ago. And also, he he took twists and turns in his life as well, and then he just shows up there. Some some really powerful interactions with people, and this was random because I was standing in Newbury Street there, and uh, these guys walked by, and we just met. We started talking, and it was really fantastic. So wherever you you, you got to get out there, and Hashem will take care of the rest. We'll bring you know. Even these two guys who went on vacation, oh, let's go, you know, take my family, you know, for a week to go, whatever they had in mind. They sure didn't have in mind they're going to meet an old friend from 30 years ago. So get out there, be ready to take whatever Hashem puts in front of you, take it to the next level. That's my point. Right. Speaking of the next level. Oh, <laughs> here we go. We're elevating. Right, always, we're, we're, always. we're elevating the holiness of of the of the pose cast. 
from from the the holiness of people meeting each other in Israel to the holiness of the father of our Rebbe. So right is the yard site of the Rebbe's father. So Rabbi, do you have, I, I mean, I personally know little to nothing about the Rebbe's father. Obviously the Rebbe's father-in-law was the Rebbe before the Rebbe. Right. But I feel like his father doesn't get talked about nearly as much. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's fair. But I'll tell you, it's interesting because the Rebbe talked about his father a lot. Mm. And you see, because in the lineage, as you as you mentioned, the Rebbe's father was not the Rebbe. At, at, the Rebbe, previous Rebbe was the son of the Rebbe before. But if you go back two generations earlier, the Semach Tzedek, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, had six sons. And so the lineage of, after the Semach Tzedek went to his youngest son. So it's the youngest son, then his son, then his son, then our Rebbe, the son-in-law, okay? But the Rebbe's father was from the oldest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, four generations later. So there is there is that. Um, so the Rebbe is basically third cousins with his wife, with the Rebbe. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I didn't, that's, that's a, it's getting a little close there, isn't it? No, no. It's very common, by the way. Back in those generations, that wasn't unusual at all. Well, back anyway, in this... those generations, you're talking, the, the Rebbe wasn't, you know. Yeah, I'm like talking that, about a hundred years ago. When was the Rebbe born? 1901. Okay, so that's like my great-grandparents. That's not that right. many generations ago. And back in those generations, it wasn't that unusual. That's exactly what I'm saying. Then in the generation, yeah, exactly. The generation before that as well, yeah. Maybe in Alabama. No, no, no. Amongst the Hasidim, Hasidic families, even today. And we're not talking about, you know, first cousins or even that. But yeah. Anyway, it's aside from the point. But the bottom line is that um, so the Rebbe's father wasn't part of the lineage of Lubavitch leadership. Nonetheless, he was a tremendous scholar, both in, in Halacha and Gemara and in Kabbalah and Chassidus. And the Rebbe talked a lot about his father's teachings. And if you look at, his Rebbe, at the Rebbe's father's teachings, it definitely, the Rebbe followed in that line, which pretty much was taking all the four sections of Torah and sort of melding them together. So you see, you get a full picture. Each subject, you can go, you know, from the literal all the way to the mystical and see it come together, how it's interconnected. Um, and the Rebbe's father, what, you know, he passed away in 1944. So his leadership in his, in his, in his particular city in Ukraine was under communist Russia. Now, this is, this is tough times for Jews there. Very tough times. And what the Rebbe spoke a lot about his father was, aside from his, his learning and his and his um, brilliance, was about his resilience in being firm about keeping the Jews inspired with, with proper Judaism. And to the point that this actually got him, got him sent into exile in 1939, where eventually five years later he passed away. Um, it's a very remote area in the eastern part of Russia which was like a very, very um, unhospitable for human beings to live, desert-like um, environment. And what we have from the Rebbe's, Rebbe Father's teachings is things he wrote while in exile, because when he went into exile, the Rebbe Sankhana, his wife, the Rebbe's mother, followed him, right? Because he went from prison to into exile. And she brought 
what, what, what could she bring with her? You know, he had written stuff for years and years and years, but that just got all got lost. But she brought some Sfarim, and he wrote on the margins of the Sfarim, he wrote his notes. Now, he's living there in a house I had to share with other people in, in terrible, terrible conditions. The most important thing that was lacking was food. And there was, you know, there was other town, but not so close by. And it was a very, that, that would, people come there to help them. Um, but it was very, very dire circumstances. And the teachings that he wrote on the margins of those books, which later on were printed into books, and the Rebbe discussed them at length, are unbelievable. A person living in the, in the lap of luxury, would have, without any challenges, would have a difficult time even understanding what he wrote. So much more that he came up with so many novel ideas. And so we have two things over here. I think the takeaway from the Rebbe's father comes in two points. Number one, his devotion to Jews, even, you know, not just his, his, his son and his other two sons that he had, but to his community and to be, and in spite of the, the um, strictness and the oppression of the Soviet government, he's, he was very firm not to compromise on halacha. It was one story they wanted to sign certain papers. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Because then they'll think that they can they can manipulate me. I'm not going to do anything that doesn't is doesn't conform to halacha completely. And the second thing is his diligence in Torah study. And that I think these two things are very relevant and instructive to us. Like when we think about what our challenges are, like, <laughs> hello, I can't. When people say, ask, come for Shabbos, come there, I can't. Like, why can't you? And like this excuse of like, please, you know. But you know, I never judge another person for his excuse, his or her excuses. But I think individually, we have to look at ourselves and say, are being we being honest about what we could and cannot do? Like, how difficult is it to take whatever Yiddish kite you're at, take it to the next level? How difficult is it? What are, what are really obstacles that, that you're, you're encountering? You know, and going back to this film thing, I, you know, where these guys met on on Sunday, extended went to this guy. I said, he put on film. I said, yes, I have a pair of film at home. Why don't you put it on? Uh, it took you three minutes. Come on. Don't tell me the amount of time. It's we, we, we have, and then let's wrap it all and bring it back to the beginning. You'd run out to buy your pink shirt because that's the trend, but you can't put on film every day. Like, come on. Basically, it's in your mind. If it's important, you'll do it. You'll follow the latest Mishagas, but stop and think, like, who am I as a Jew? Think about the Rebbe's father, think about other Jews in past generations that have to go through such hardship to be able to keep Torah mitzvahs. It's, I think it's, we have to take it and put a little more, a vest, a little more energy. And let us remember, my dear friends, we are now in the pre-Rosh Hashanah stage. No one wants to think about it, but it's 40 days before Rosh Hashanah. We know the number 40, it's got a lot of importance there. So if that's nothing else to motivate you, now is a great time to start the introspection and resolution towards a new year. It's 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 certainly an important day just to kind of wrap things up here when you think so obviously without the Rebbe's father, you know, Chabad's much different, right? And then you know, you're you maybe you're not a, a Chabad rabbi in a Chabad house, who knows? You know, and then without that, there's no post cast, but also <laughs> coincidentally but there are no coincidences because hashem runs the world today is my mother's father's yard site as well oh wow so without him i wouldn't be a jew this is true Do you know his hebrew name wouldn't happen what's his hebrew name i have no clue 
No, we'll find that out because, well, whatever. Hashem in heaven knows, and we can say that we dedicate this past uh, half hour of important discussion about Jewish issues to his memory. And feet and to, to his memory, sure. To his, everything we talked about was important. <laughs> Everything's important. All right. So yeah, if you have any suggestions for guests, we'll be happy to hear about it. No Absolutely. We'll accept it, but we'll take it under consideration. Next week in Jerusalem. Amen. See you next week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Episode 16 of the Postcast. We're getting up there. It's a wrap. <laughs>